Welcome to Native Yoga Toddcast. So happy you are here. My goal with this channel is to bring inspirational speakers to the mic in the field of yoga, massage, body work, and beyond. Follow us at Native Yoga and check us out at nativeyogacenter.com. All right, let's begin. I'm really excited to have the opportunity to have Kelly Haas here with me in studio. This morning when I woke up, I thought to myself, I'm going to bring my podcasting equipment to the studio and see who shows up for the 9.30 a.m. class and then just try to pull them aside here and uh, see if they're open and willing to have a conversation with me today. So Kelly, I'm so happy to have you here and to have a chance to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you. I am the lucky winner. Thank you for having me this morning, Todd, and for a beautiful practice here at Native Yoga. Oh, I appreciate that. I mean, uh, and then also something that's really great is that because we're just on audio, neither you or I need to get our blow dryer out, have a <laughs> quick shower, or worry about what our appearance are is after we just sweated like crazy right. in a hot, humid room here in Florida. Yes, we are definitely in post-Ashtanga mode. That's right. Yes. And um, so with that being said, I just wanted to start asking you some questions about your own personal yoga journey. And if we reel it way back to the beginnings, where would you put your, like when the needle was turned toward yoga for you, what, what was that or where was that? I've always been into practices of the body and body movements. I was a gymnast when I was a child. And so that, that inquisitiveness was always there. And then in college at the University of North Carolina, um, I started dabbling in classes. And shortly after that, after my graduation from there, which was 1999, that was when I really found um, a teacher that I resonated with and, and started practicing regularly. And that was Shivananda style yoga in the beginning. And then I was just hungry to learn all that I could I, I did a teacher training at the Nosara Institute in Costa Rica nice. with Don and Amba Stapleton. I ran um, the yoga retreat center at Pura Vida in Costa Rica for a few years. Very cool. Um, and that was a really pivotal time in my yoga education mm. because there was a lot of renowned teachers from different methodologies that were coming to the retreat center every week or every few weeks to lead trainings. And usually they were very generous and allowed me to drop in. So I was teaching all of the in-house classes for the program there. But then I had all of these wonderful ways of, you know, being introduced to, um, Doug and David Swenson, who would come and offer Ashtanga, or Baron Baptiste, or Anya Sara Yoga with John Friend and Siana Sherman. So that time was just a breadth of learning and being um, exposed to a lot of different styles of yoga. And Anya Sara really resonated with me at that time. And I loved the biomechanics of it, and it helped me start to deepen some understandings of my own practice. Mm. And that led me to working with the Anyasara organization and managing their world tour for six years. What? And that time I was just traveling all over the world, Asia, Europe, wow. all over the United States, wow. and had this really wonderful experience of delving really deep into that wow. method. Wow. Um, that also allowed me to become so connected with the worldwide community, which as we know, the yoga community is 
is big, but it's also small. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've made so many wonderful friends and colleagues around the world now that I'm still connected to. And uh, kind of veering off then from there, I landed after my time as a tour manager in New Orleans and have spent the last 10 years cultivating community there and building a yoga therapy practice wow. before my recent move to South Florida, to wow. West Palm Beach. And I, I moved here in November of last year. That's amazing, Kelly, because I really had no idea that you had that background which really is testament to your humility because you've been coming and taking classes now for the past couple of months and you just come in and you practice and you bust it out and you have a big smile and you say, thank you very much. I'll see you later. And, uh, so I can't believe that you did all that. Yes. <laughs> That's well, really cool. That's amazing. And it's a testament, if I may say, to the space that you hold too, um, that here at Native Yoga, it feels so comfortable to come in and feel very supported wherever you oh, are in your you. practice. Um, feels very community-driven. And I think for me, after being such a leader in my community for so long, it's also nice to come into a new place and, and go back to these humble beginnings where... You, you wow. can just kind of float yeah, in and yeah. out and, and experience your practice again. And, you know, for me, Ashtanga has come into my yoga practice and my yoga field with consistency at different times over the 20 years yeah. I've been practicing. Yeah. But it hasn't been a, a main practice for me in the past few years. And it's feeling so good to get back into this practice and to even have a deeper understanding or experience yep, of yep, it in my yep. own body. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. Do you feel like, like sometimes I'll say to people, if you learn, or I'll think to myself, if, if I learn Ashtanga yoga and then, and I stay humble that in theory I could go into any other yoga, uh, school and or tradition and feel like I could hold, like I'd have a fairly good understanding of what's going on. Do you, would you agree with that in relation when you, now that you've had experience with different practices like Anusara, Anusara, Iyengar, Ashtanga, and all these different vinyasa flow teachers? Um, I guess the reason, one of the reasons I bring that up is that I first started practicing in the Bikram yoga world, and then I went to Mysore in India to practice with Batabi Joyce, and I just kind of thought, well, I'm coming from this one yoga, so I'll probably just slide into this other yoga room and just be completely fine. But then I got my butt totally kicked going to Mysore right. and humbled, almost like if, it's a, if I was a dancer and I take tap all the time and think I'm going to go study somewhere in Paris with some ballet master that I'll just like easily transfer from ballet over to tap or tap to ballet no problem and then be humbled what has your experience been with um being humbled in the yoga world thinking like i really got this but now oh my gosh i i have so much to learn right well that's that's the beauty of where if we are humble and open to it of being a perpetual student yeah. right which yeah. is what i always strive to be i think for certain, Ashtanga is one of the more rigorous mm -hmm. and powerful methodologies. And I, th I think, you know, in my 20s when I was practicing it and I have a fiery personality and a fi fiery way of being, I connected to the fire of it. You know, it's mm -hmm. a mm -hmm. it's a, a strenuous practice, right? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And I could almost feel sometimes like my, my anger or my anger issues coming up within it. You know, like, why are we doing another vinyasa? Or why, why are there four Marichi asanas? You know, this is silly. Two's plenty. Um, but, but now I feel like coming back to it mm. and me being in perhaps a less fiery time in my, my life and my mm. existence with mm. the way I've changed, it feels so much more therapeutic and even therapeutic on an organic basis, like on the organ yeah. level that I nice. don't think I experienced when I was younger. Mm. Um, so it, it is hard to translate. I mean, I feel that so many flow and vinyasa practices we have now are so steeped in kind of whatever the teacher wants to offer, not necessarily in the succinct fundamentals and methodology that goes behind um, a method like Ashtanga or Iyengar. Um, I think, I think it always informs me in certain ways but the Iyengar yoga therapeutics that I've studied more in depth in the past few years, as well as restorative practices has offered a whole other lens for Mm -hmm. me of Mm -hmm. yoga in the sense of teaching a restorative class and having someone, a student come in in a wheelchair and you think the student is coming to take a yoga practice with me. I don't know exactly how to serve them. What do I do? And that really was an instigator for me wanting to learn more on how can I serve whoever walks into the room. So while I love the Ashtanga practice, um, the accessibility and the changes that I think we've seen with stress levels, with Western lifestyle, with things like that, um, there's some softer methods that I feel like maybe are a little more approachable for certain yeah, people. I agree a hundred percent. That's really cool. I hope I can say that on I the think, Ashtanga podcast. Well, the good, <laughs> to be honest, this is not an Ashtanga okay, podcast. Okay, okay. <laughs> I do bring all, I bring people on that are really that love Ashtanga and are really focused uh, mostly on that. And and then I also bring on people who are completely outside of the Ashtanga world. So I think that hearing multiple viewpoints and approaches is absolutely essential for development, right? Because don't you think if we get too narrowed in on one thing that it almost creates problems? Yes. You know, if you you start putting the blinders on, like, this is the only way, Right. this is the only, uh, you know, this, my method is the best way and everyone else's method isn't quite up to par with what I'm doing. That that's a trap. That seems like a a danger hole. (laughs) Closed myopic view. It's very hard to, learn or expand. Good point. You know, like Ram Dass says, there are many paths to God. Make sure you're on one of them. (laughs) Kind of like that, I think, in our our yoga world too. Like, are you in practices that help you connect to your embodiment and feel embodied? And that can look so many different types of way, even just through, through the yoga lens. I just want to go out here on a limb and ask this question right off the bat, based on the information you gave me already, you were able to manage the world tour of Anusara and John Friend, which at some point I remember when I was looking at Yoga Journal back in the day, I mean, it was like exploding. And, um, but then obviously there was a little bit of controversy. Were you, um, without going into all the 
heaviness of that, but were you out of managing the tour before that controversial component came up or were you in the thick of that when all that happened? No, I was not out of the picture. I was quite steeped in the unraveling wow. of, um, of that method yeah. and yeah. of John's downfall in yeah. a sense, yeah. you know, changes in the organization. And that has been a really wonderful and big teacher for me. I and bet. I wouldn't change any of that experience yeah. um, in hindsight looking back at it, it was heart, heart wrenching, um, and difficult for our community. I think for me personally, going through that feeling, perhaps a lack of trust in my teacher or the methodology that I had learned, or it makes you start to question a lot of things, uh, which in the end is, is a, beautiful gift because it allowed me to go all the way back to square one and to say, what do I want to teach? How do I want to teach? What resonates for me? What am I practicing? That's what I can offer. And those are parts of the teachings that are not wrapped up in one person who can obviously be very human as we, as we all are. Um, I think it showed me a lot of traps that we can fall into in terms of when we are holding space as teachers or leaders with these practices that are really transformational. Yeah. It's important for us to remember and for the students that we serve to remember that that is their transformation and that's their innate power and innate intelligence. And it's not coming from us. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. That helps with humility for sure. Yeah. Great answer, Kelly. That's amazing. I've had a similar uh, experience and it obviously is a very common thread in the yoga and meditation community that, like you said, with the transformational power of these practices that the teacher gets put on a pedestal and then the humanity of their experience comes to the light and it's, it's, it is, it's a, it it makes you question everything. So I don't know if there, maybe that's a part of yoga in some strange way that almost like that's almost like if you keep going with yoga long enough that at some point we're going to bump into that and we have to then come to terms with it and, and learn and grow from that. I mean, I, I would like to, I personally have the dream, the goal and the vision that that will never happen in a setting that I find myself in now and moving forward that that sort of, um, abuse of power will, won't that, that I've seen it enough and I can now move forward and, that won't be a part of it anymore. Does that make sense? Yes. I just think that's so important right now, especially watching what, what we've seen in the last few years. Cause I feel like I heard story after story after story from this school, from that school, from this tradition, that tradition where it was like a very similar kind of breakdown meltdown period. Right. Um, An unraveling of power structures, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Across the board, maybe. Yeah, I think so. And putting the power back into our own hands, in a sense, right, as practitioners, that 
Um, of course, we need guides along the way, and we need teachers. I yeah. mean, yeah. I can't hold enough gratitude in my heart for all of the amazing teachers that I've been able to study with and to learn from and 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 to just sit with even and be in their presence. Like I was mentioning Ram Dass, he's one of my Did you get to hang out with Ram Dass? Did you really? Yes, oh, yes. Oh my gosh. We spent quite Where a was bit that of at? time with him on Maui. No. Yes. And uh, <laughs> in his later years, um, John co-led a few retreats with mm. Ram Dass, and then I was a participant in several Ram Dass retreats early on before everything in his organization organization began to shift and things got larger. Wow. So when we were in Satsang, it was more like 20, 30 people and this beautiful, like kind of that old school yeah, Hawaiian yeah, vibe yeah. feeling and um, receiving direct transmission from him. And he was very powerful teacher and he didn't teach me one single asana, you know, yeah, it was, yeah. um, was yeah. all heart connection, yes. which I know you have a lot of too. I hear you chant the Hanuman Chalisa here. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's a wonderful. I, oh. I, chanting is another big um, love of mine. And oh, do you know the Do you know the Hanuman Chalisa? By do you know it offhand? Can you can you chant it offhand? Okay, I was just curious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe hang out I'm with sorry, Ram Dass. Maybe River that would. <laughs> Um, well, let's get started. No, I'm kidding. Right? <laughs> we'll save that for the next one. Yes, yes. Um, but I do love chanting, and I tend to chant every day with my morning meditation. That's but so, the Hanuman Chalisa is a that's a it's a lot to. That's a big one. That's, that's forty one. verses. Uh, you know, no no words are repeated. Um, my so in my in my last podcast, I just did where I just spoke into the microphone and told a story about how I first came in contact with yoga and when I was. In between um, 11th and 12th grade, I had the opportunity to go to Maui and I was hanging out and uh, with these guys that um, said, uh, let's go over to this teepee, you know, and we walked over through the jungle. It was near, um, it was on the way to Hana. So it was like in that really beautiful, tropical, lush area. And uh, I remember stumbling upon this teepee where Be Here Now was on this little pedestal in there and I opened it up and my first yoga book I ever saw and there's Hanuman, wow. you know, pulling open his chest. And I'm just like, what is this? What? I was just mesmerized by that first image. And then as I started to open up Ram Dass's book, I was like, what is going on here? I couldn't even. So, um, uh, that got me going. Yes. That, that triggered me. And I started seeing pictures of Ram Dass and I was like, I want to learn yoga. That's all I want to, all I want to do. So fast forward to hanging out with Tim Miller out in Encinitas in California. He's a huge Hanuman devotee. I was at a teacher training with him for a, a second series teacher training. and I dislocated a rib on my back and it hadn't slipped back onto the facet joint yet. And I was miserable. Like, you know, how like, could you try to breathe and you just can't even breathe. I couldn't find any position comfortable. And I was so, and I was suffering. And Tim started seeing Hanuman Chalisa and my first reaction was like, oh man, here we go. You know, this reminds me of being in church, singing songs. I don't know what they're, what we're even singing about. And I just had this kind of like that kind of, uh, reservations about that whole, now you're bringing all this music into my yoga. And I thought yoga was this and my conceptions of what yoga was were being challenged. And, and I just started bawling 
like the I don't like this the song I just started to connect with it and I feel like I hit like a moment of like healing where I was just suffering and this song just spoke to me like mm-hmm. I was like I think I get it or I I want to learn this song and then from that I just listened to Hanuman Chalisa every single day in my car and I wouldn't let myself listen to anything else until I could sing the whole thing from front to back without having it on in the background. So it just took me about two years of really consciously like over and over and over and over again. So I do love the Hanuman Chalisa and I really love Ram Das and I'm enamored, I'm enamored that you had a chance to hang out with him because he's one of my huge inspirations for yoga practice. He is. He's such a wonderful teacher and a gift that we had on this planet. Wow. For sure. Um, the Hanuman Chalisa, I cheat and I yeah. read it. Well, you're when, allowed to, yeah. When, yeah. <laughs> when I chant it, and I think my most memorable time of Tell chanting me. the Hanuman Chalisa, thank you for sharing yours. Oh, it's please. so beautiful. Thank and you. it's the testament to sound yeah. and vibration, yeah. right? And how yeah. much we are vibrational beings, the way music can move us yeah, almost yeah. like nothing else can in, in my experience anyway. Um, have you been to the Hanuman temple in Taos, New Mexico? No, I've heard about it. I hear it's absolutely amazing. Can, obviously you've been, I'm thinking, I, I have. What, what was your experience? It's so the Hanu, the Hanuman uh, Murti that they mm-hmm. have in mm-hmm. the temple in Taos is a flying Hanuman so he looks like he's lying on his side, oh, yeah. which is very rare. Most Hanumans, uh-huh. you know, are standing or they're kneeling. Yeah. But this was a very, um, a very specific gift of Hanuman. Do you have a flying one? There he is, holding Yay! the holding the mountain, and yeah, yes. yeah. So they have this beautiful murti of of Hanuman, and I believe Krishna Das and Ram Das found mm. this murti, and they had it like in their garage or something for a long time until they finally created um, this temple. It's very, very humble. It's very quiet. You can imagine, you know, kind of that um, high desert, Mm -hmm. really dry, Mm -hmm. like stunning differences of land and trees and sky. And it's a very, very small temple, but... um, We were there uh, chanting, and definitely the presence of yeah. Ramdas and Neem Kroli Baba are all infused in that space. Oh, wow. That's my favorite memory That's of, awesome. of chanting the Chalisa. Heck yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you, I mean, I know there's a lot of different theories about what can occur when chanting Hanuman Chalisa. What is your take on the experience, or what, what do you? What are you focusing your mind on or what are you um, taking away from the experience? And it doesn't necessarily maybe have to be Hanuman Chalisa. Since we're on that subject, maybe we'll stick on that particular mantra because obviously you could have any mantra that you're interested in. But what is uh, what do you gravitate toward when you're practicing chanting it and or thinking about or feeling or what are your thoughts? Mantra for me, you know, this word mantra is a mind bridge Right, it's ways of bridging the mind. I think for me, it's ways of breaking habits of my mind because you get so absorbed, especially if you're chanting with repetition, something over and over, or like with the chalisa that you said. Yeah, there's, yeah. you know, there's forty yeah. lines, no words, yeah. the same. Like it's, yeah. it's more of a present awareness absorption mm. state that mm. happens. Mm. That's beyond yeah. the mind. Yeah. yeah, and of course, the melodic nature of 
of the sound too, I think yeah. takes us or transports yeah. us to a different yeah. place. Um, for me, I feel like mantra and why I practice it regularly is it's a way to kind of polish or clear mm. my mm-hmm. mind mm-hmm. because we have so much that, I mean, we're bombarded with information now, right? We're never taught to unitask. It's like, how many things can you do at one time? Yep. And how many things yep. can you think at one time? And yep. how many can, you know, social media feeds can you have? And all this, <laughs> all these things that just take us like out and out and not in. So mantra for me is really a way to go in. And then through that going in to quiet the external and then to quiet the mind inside so you can really let let things settle to see what the inner environment is like. Yeah, That's one of the powers of, of mantra for me. Great explanation. I love that. What about your connection and or relationship to deities and what they represent and how the myths or stories surrounding them play into your experience. Have you, so we have the concept of like a finding your Ishta Devata, like that deity that really speaks to you, speaks to you, or maybe like you even really connect with a specific one or you think you have. And then five years later, something else really calls you in. Have you had any experience with that and or are you open to that or do you like to kind of keep that on the fringes? Where, where are you at with, yeah, with that concept? That's a good question. Um, I, I love, I love the concepts of deities and we had a gentleman, Manoj Chalam. He is a, a Murtiwala. He lives in San Diego still, I believe. Beautiful human. I think I've heard of him. He always says he's a, how does he say? Um, I'm a spiritual person having a human experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he used to tour with us. So he taught us many, many things about the deities. And I was always um, quite called, honestly, to Kuan Yin and the goddess of compassion. And she's still who sits on my nice. on my altar at home. She's who I resonate with most. But you're right. In the course of our own evolution, I find that certain deities are are held in my mind more or that I'm I'm inquisitively asking for a- advice right or guidance um but Kuan Yin always always comes back can you talk about Kuan Yin like what what does she represent for you or what is what is her main characteristics as a deity I think she is a wonderful deity for any of uh, those of us that are in healthcare or caring for others or or teaching others for nurses she has a a soft very feminine compassionate energy which i think the world always needs i know for me personally i was mentioning I tended to have more fire and be more rigid in a way and was sharp about certain things and probably more so with myself even Mm. than others have a lot more forgiveness for others than for myself historically, which I think a lot of people can relate to. So for me, she's this reminder of, of this motherly compassion that we all deserve and that we all honestly long for, Mm. you know, that feeling of, of belonging, of being understood, of, of being held. Where does she originate from? 
I believe, well, that, I think that depends on who you ask, okay. but I believe China. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought too. And I just right. wanted to double check. My favorite Kuan Yin Murti I've ever mm-hmm. seen is in Taiwan though. So she's very much. And she's, um, she's global obviously, in right? Taiwan. In India, you'll see Kuan Yin carvings and. Correct. That- and I think she's connected to the green Tara, mm. Kuan Yin and the green Tara. But don't quote me on that because deities is not my okay uh, forte. Yeah, All well, right. it's not my expertise. <laughs> I would right. say, yeah, fair enough. And then c- to circle around to that Please. question of, yeah. um, I tend to my own personal evolution. I don't chant as much to deities in classes or with students. With the way my yoga therapy skills have flown, I'm I teach a lot of beginners a lot of restorative practices, a lot of conscious aging practices that um, are students who are in their 60s, their 70s, their 80s. And I think that in a Western society, some of these esoteric ideas can turn people off. And it's not to say that they're not powerful and they're not a part of my practice, but I tend to chant more um, like the Gayatri mantra Mm -hmm. or... Sahana Baba to things that I can then tell people like we're chanting Loka Samasta Sukino Bhavantu. This is for the happiness and freedom and well being of all beings. Oh, yeah. I can get behind that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um just to make it more accessible or to bridge the gap maybe with people that are just coming into these practices and maybe a little hesitant. Um Definitely. Hundred yeah. percent. I think you're right. I, I I consciously will include it in certain settings and dis and and not include it in others based on you just kind of read the the vibe right right like if I chant this mantra in front of these folks and I already get the feeling <laughs> that you know just it's a miracle that we're even getting to this point where we're at right now right. that would just tip it over into <laughs> this really awkward feeling right. so. But if you're in the company, like I'm in the company of you right now, I feel totally comfortable talking about passion for, you know, myth and what these can represent in our life. But I, yeah, if I'm going to, if I'm going to push on you or tread on your toes of your own personal beliefs, I figure, uh, uh-uh, there's no point. Right. I don't need to, you know, discourage you in any way. Um, that's awesome. Uh, so, uh, are you, what are you up to now? You came in today and you're like, I'm really excited because I'm going to go study cranial sacral therapy this weekend over on the West coast of Florida, which is amazing. Right. And, and I kind of got the vibe off you cause you were just like, I just want, I love being a student. I love to just drop into that zone where I can just be a student and learn something totally new. Um, you've, you've had a chance to come across, it sounds like so many different, modalities and approaches to either yoga and or now in that realm with body work. You said you studied also this morning as I was setting up the podcasting equipment, Thai massage in Chiang Mai. Um, Can you share some other stories of things that you've um, derived inspiration from? Sure. Uh, <laughs> what a what direction should I go? I know. I know there's got to be a lot in there. So I'm just curious what pops into your, your head. Um, well, okay. Let you, me help you out or no, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, you're going to start. So let me let you go. I was just thinking that even through, you know, having this conversation and how impromptu you come to practice, Hey, let's do a podcast. Sure. Um, <laughs> 
I've had so many wonderful teachers and learned different modalities. Thai massage, restorative yoga, studying with Judith Laster. She's such a wonderful teacher and a wealth of knowledge. You know, sitting with Ram Das, learning biomechanics, learning um, yoga therapy and the Iyengar method through uh, Michael Bryan. Like I've, I've had so many wonderful teachers and... In honoring all that, I feel like my biggest experiences that keep me so passionate about my work are the one-on-one -on -one individual transformative uh, experiences that students have that I'm able to witness or to be present for or to lend some kind of guidance within. And I've, I've studied also with Matthew Samford. Do you know Matthew Sanford? I've heard the name, but I'm not familiar with his work. He's a really fascinating man. He is an Iyengar yoga teacher. He is based in Minnesota. His uh, facility is called Mind Body Solutions, his studio. And he is a paraplegic. He was in an accident uh, when he was 13 years him. old. Thank you for reminding me. Yep. He's, yep. he's such a wonderful teacher. And um, talk about being humbled. You go in and... And I, I met a student, her name is Ashley, she's a great friend of mine. Uh, Ashley has cerebral palsy and came to class in a wheelchair, as I was mentioning a student earlier. And this experience, experience for me of like, how can I most help or most serve this student? And she was so open. And I said, I don't, I don't really know anything about working with someone with CP. I'm happy to learn. I have a lot of anatomy and physiology understanding. I've been teaching for a while. I've got some good tools under my, in my belt. But like, this is all an experiment. Are you up for it? And she said, yes. And so we started practicing together in class settings and privately multiple times a week and to to just have this long-term experience with someone to, to learn about disabilities to learn about then that led to me having other students that I worked with with spinal cord injuries or neurological conditions and I think that's what spurred all of this even craniosacral hunger for information right because mm -hmm. no matter what limitations we might be living in in our physical bodies we all have these mm. physical bodies yep. and there's a vast wealth of information in there that I think we've only just started to tap into. Wow. What better way to, yes. to, you know, feed our lives than, than learning about this and learning more about ourselves. And so I, I'm, I feel like I've had so much reflective learning through people that I've been gifted to, to work with or to teach. That's amazing. And those are big, big experiences for me too, as well as, the, the teachers that have taught me along the way, you know, the, that's incredible Kelly, because I love the feeling and the anticipation excitement that comes from knowing that I'm getting ready to go and practice and study with a teacher that I'm really excited about going and being with. And the idea of translating that into I'm about ready to go over to the apartment building over here and work with a woman who I've never met before, who's brand new to yoga and is suffering or being challenged by these different things that the idea of the way you're making like your energy is making me think like maybe I could actually show up to her house and be just as excited to have the opportunity to work with her as that feeling of anticipation and excitement 
of going and studying with the most famous, popular, exciting person to be with ever, right? Right. That's incredible. What a tran- What a like amazing uh, way to look at it. Right, and we yeah. we have had these experiences of going to study with teachers <laughs> or to be in in these environments that light us up, right? And yep. the way we experience ourselves on yep. a soul level, yeah. We all we all long for that. We all yeah. we all deserve that. And um, it it doesn't matter the the body that we're in. And and you know Matthew going back to Matthew, he yeah. says a lot. Man, he schooled me. Um, I I I had this student, my friend Ashley, I worked with for years. We were just off the cuff. We're gonna figure this out. So I finally think, well, I should probably take a course or yeah, some kind of yeah. training for like working with students with disabilities. Right. Yeah, so yeah. Matthew is the guy for sure yeah. in the yoga world to yeah. study with. And I'm at his training in Minnesota and it's like March and it's, there's like two feet of snow on the ground. <laughs> <clears throat> Very different than Florida. Yes. And, uh, and he's talking about downward facing dog and the energy flow and directionality and downward facing dog. And what's the experience? What is it that you feel? What is the inner experience of downward facing dog? And he's taking us on this journey, which he does very beautifully in his teachings. And uh, so I'm asking him a question about Ashley and he says something about how we're doing downward facing dog. And I said, well, we don't practice downward facing dog. Mm. Well, why not? Like, well, She's in a wheelchair. She can't really do downward facing dog. Of course she can. Mm -hmm. You have to figure out how to help her have that experience. Mm. And it was like a light bulb that it doesn't always have to be the outer expression of a pose or the physicality of the pose. But what, what am I experiencing in this pose? How am I changing and shifting the directionality of energy in my body? How am I creating stability and openness? How can I translate that through props or different relationships to gravity or articulation to invite another human to have a similar experience. Whoa. I know. That's a big, that's a game changer right there. I think I'll be working on that for the rest of my life. Yeah. Yes. But I'm the, that's amazing. Cause I mean, I, I'm really curious what your, what you discovered in that, like what you learned through going through that introspection process. But I would imagine if I'm unable to lift my arms above my head and I am in a chair and, but, and I'm thinking, well, what does down dog do for me in terms of just lengthening of the spine? So even if, if I were to give a verbal cue of, well, let's just attempt to sit up a little straighter, depending upon how possible or not that is, but then discovering if we just focus on spine, how that downward dog spine shape could be done while in a chair, just breaking into that little component. What what did you find in the attempt of trying to do that with her and that specific, if, if you're okay with, if she's okay with you talking about her, you know, in public like this. Ashley is amazing. I don't know if she'd mind you sharing that story. I'll share this podcast with her because <laughs> <All right. laughs> I don't think she'll mind at all. She's okay. um, a brilliant a brilliant young lady. She's she has her PhD in disability studies, and oh, wow. she's very active in her community. And uh, we've given several talks and lectures nice, together. Nice, nice. So I think she'd be fine with Hi, me Ashley. talking nice about her. Hi, Ashley. Nice to meet her. you. Yeah, yeah, Ashley, right, yeah. sending love to New Orleans. 
Um, well, one thing, right? You're you're onto a lot of the big cues, right? Like there's a great degree of hip flexion mm-hmm. and downward facing dog. Yeah, a foundational grounding, and then this. extension elongation openness of the spine right the way we start to create openness or lightness of the spine is through having a sense of foundation Mm. most people that are seated in a wheelchair for mobility don't necessarily have a good sense of foundation Mm. Um, so even getting the feet grounded yeah. Blocks under the feet. Yeah. Flexion of the hips. Yeah. Extension of the spine. It can yep. be done at a wall where yep. the arms nice. are lifted, even yep. if you're helping to assist lift the arms yep. and yep. coming forward. Wow. So that then you have this great feeling of hip flexion, yep. spinal elongation. Yeah. Um, wow. Yes. There's very cool. I know. Very cool. There's the so world, that opens the world up so much. And if we start looking at it like that, then the, the possibilities are endless as opposed to, and I think the way we started our conversation of just acknowledging that if we get too caught up in the dogma, it's like a closing in of possibilities and options, you know, versus this like opening it up out and anybody can do this. He just, we just have to shift our perspective. Right. But that's cool that you, you've, you've really put the time into going and study and like, oh, let me go take a training up over here tomorrow. Let me go over to West Coast, Florida and learn craniosacral. How could I implement that into my, to my practice? Were you always this sort of curious as a child? Do you, you know, going back to your childhood, were you always, or has yoga opened you up into being a little bit more like, let me take everything in and just implement it? I've always been curious. <laughs> you can ask my mother. <laughs> yes. Uh, I always wanted to travel. I'm an avid uh, Spanish speaker. I studied in Spain in college. Like wow. I mentioned, I lived in Costa Rica for a few years. Yeah. I've always so been fluent hungry. in Espanol? Yes. Wow. See, I, I've always been hungry for connection, knowledge, information, people, yep. Um exotic things, food, language. You know, I've taught quite a lot in Japan. Also, I cannot wait to go back. I haven't been there since 2019. I have a very um, beautiful relationship and connection with the yoga community there. And talk about humbling to go into a place and you don't really speak the language. My Japanese is terrible. Mm. Um, you're you're at the mercy of you need help, right? Like to yep. get around, to figure yep. things out. Yep. Um, yep. I, I've always loved those experiences. Like throw me into the fire. Let put me in a place that's not yep. comfortable or yeah. somewhere that's not easy. Yeah, I've always been curious in that way. That's awesome. Um, when I was younger, my dad would read to me every night and. I would beg my mom. I was like, Wednesday is the day you're, we're going to the library. We'll go one day a week and you can check out your nine books or whatever was allotted at the time, right? And we're not going back until next Wednesday. And I would read all the books in like two days and be wow. like, can we please go back to the library? Oh my gosh. No, we're going next week. Yeah. But, but I think that's always been there. Just yeah, this insatiable yeah. hunger yeah. to yeah. understand things more yeah. and to find connection or yeah. similarity I don't think that we're always trained that like we're trained to look for division oftentimes or like what thing is wrong or what thing is different. And uh, I feel really blessed in 
whatever part of my makeup, yeah. it's not yeah. necessarily what yeah. I was physically born into in, yeah. Yeah. in North Carolina, but this great curiosity of wanting to know about everyone and everything and find similarity in it. Has that insatiable appetite for learning and potentially bringing in the grass is greener over there made it challenging to stay put in one place? Or are you, as you're aging and growing and maturing and wisdom increasing, starting to feel settled like you can, I'm okay here. <laughs> what a great question. Isn't it hard? Because when you're that yes, curious, you want to... I, get, I just want to go. I, I just want to go. Yes. I just want to go. But yes, um, I've been trying to trying to squelch that fire. Not like well, I mean, I've been here for a long time, and here at the studio for sixteen years, and so I decided when I came here, I was like, boom, I'm here. Even though I want to travel, and like, so there's been a lot of times where I've been like, nope, this is my mission right now. So put it. So I'm just curious, your evolution. How are you processing all that nowadays? Yes. Well, being in my 40s, I'm still not ready quite to settle down, I don't think. Um, <laughs> I love having a home yeah. base. I love feeling, honestly, what I think is that the foundational things that I need are within myself. So that can be found in any place, right? Like I have daily practices, daily tools that um, are a part of what keeps me anchored or tethered or grounded. And I still have this urge to want to travel. Um, I do find that since the last few years in the state of the world and traveling, not at all for a while, and then just way less in general, it has got me thinking about how to create the same sense of, of adventure or exploration, even within staying anchored within a nice. space. Nice. So I think it's possible. There's a little of both happening for me. You yeah. know, that urge to like, yeah. I want to, I want to settle down, but I don't want to be held down. Yeah. I always yeah. still want to be able yeah. to go spread my wings and, oh, and experience something new, a new place. Definitely. That is awesome. Well, I have a feeling, I feel like we could sit here for a really long time. So just to make sure I cover my bases, I... Just want to make sure everyone listening checks you out on your website, kellyhaasyogatherapy.com, which has a link in the show notes where you can click easy. Thank you. On Instagram, you're at yoga with Haas. Um, you teach uh, vinyasa and restorative and prenatal yoga at Soul Space in West Palm Beach currently with Marie and other teachers. And hi, Marie. Um, and also you work privately and your resources are on your website and, uh, you've been made mention that you offer yoga therapy and like through the adaptive practices and that you want to re-engage conscious aging series teaching, which I do want to ask you about that in just a second and that you've specialized in prenatal, um, and like just focusing on like the special populations and helping to make yoga more accessible that you're involved in the teacher training with Swan River Yoga in New Orleans, yes. Louisiana. Swan the, yeah. River Yoga in New Orleans, Louisiana. And nice. the 
Uh, owner of that beautiful space is Keith Porteous, okay. and the founder and the director of the teacher training is Michelle Baker. And I have been in um, working in conjunction with these ladies for over 10 years, and they're absolute gems. Oh, so wow. if you're ever in the New Orleans area, anyone who's listening, check out Swan River Yoga for sure. That sounds amazing. And uh, of course, perfect timing. My leaf blower guy is coming by outside. <laughs> of me. Hopefully you guys can't even hear that. Our microphones will block all that out. Uh, and um, you know, the beauty of like being distracted while you're trying to practice yoga, that's exactly. pretty much a daily thing. Uh, and then, so, but what I, I, I am curious about, you made mention of the conscious aging and my mom had passed away six months ago and she had Alzheimer's and, you know, being with her and she, we, she, I would come in this room and I was teaching privately yoga to her while she was experiencing Alzheimer's. And it was personally for me, a, a transformative opportunity and experience because I had to rewire the whole outlook of what we're even doing like what are we attempting to do and I you know it's getting to the point where I could say okay mom let's try triangle and I'd demonstrate and I'd step and I'd say lift your right arm up and she was having a hard time even being able to look at the way that my body was moving and try to translate it and imitate it in her own body so we would get to the point where you know, we, I would, we would, I would just say, okay, mom, well, let's just lay on the floor and, you know, look at the ceiling and put our feet up. Imagine we have paint on the bottoms of our feet and we're making footprints on the ceiling. What do you see in your footprints? And she'd start laughing and just trying to make it really playful. That was completely outside of the Ashtanga Mysore room. Right. Right. Cause she'd been here practicing for 16 years and I've every day, five days a week for the last 16 years. So, oh, wow. So I guess I know I, I won't, I won't go down a, a sad path right now, but cause it is a happy thing to, to remember my mom. And so, um, but when you're saying conscious aging, I just think that's really important. I think this is a really important subject. Um, especially as yogis, because a lot of us get into yoga thinking we're going to conquer death. Like yoga is going to keep us from dying or at least, I know that's extreme, but it'll keep us from looking old, feeling old, exhibiting symptoms of age and suffering. But I just don't think that's really possible. The more I look around, like we're going to come across some really challenging stuff right. in our own bodies too. And that ad coming up with a strategy for how we're going to cope with that. That's why I love Ram Das and his ability to have a stroke and say thank you. Like I'm appreciative for this opportunity. Um, so I know we've covered a lot of this territory, but can you shed some light on what your thoughts are regarding how we could implement some of these strategies into our own experience? Yes, this it's really where this seed was planted years ago of conscious aging that I felt like my classes at the studio where I was teaching at the time in Swan River were attracting a really diverse group of, of students and ones that you wouldn't think would necessarily be the ones walking into a yoga class. Um, a lot of older students, a lot of people who didn't have great mobility or had had injuries or were having 
joint replacements or had just had a joint replacement and was learning how to move again. Mm -hmm. And I feel that yoga and these more integrative and holistic practices like a, a yoga asana practice or yoga therapy is really honoring and addressing the person as a whole versus other types of therapy, which can be very effective. Is like you have this knee injury, we're going to replace your knee and then let's focus on rehabbing your knee. Well, what's happening in the whole rest of the organism as that, as that is happening. Right. So I always loved this approach of wholeness and that's really how we all want to mm. feel. It's mm. really all we mm. want to connect back to. So mm. these conscious aging classes, I created a curriculum around like wow. bone health. So what are the things that are most ailing us and how can we create practices that help us feel empowered to deal with these things that are inevitably coming? Like you're right. I, these bodies have an expiration date, right? Yep. They're, yep. We're not, yep. they're not going to be here forever. Yep. Yep. Um, so how can we best, mitigate things that might be happening and how can we live as, as healthy and as freely as we yeah. can. So like bone health, I mentioned joint health is another big one because arthritis mm. um, is, is a big ailment that we see as we get older replacements of joints, spinal health. You know, there's a, an adage that we are as young as our spine is old. Mm. Well, there's not a lot of practices in general, if we're talking outside the yoga realm, that really help us maintain a supple, mobile, healthy spine. Yeah. And when most people exercise, even they're doing things that, you know, perhaps are working the limbs, but there's not a lot of attention, awareness, or addressing what's happening. Yeah. To the spine. Yeah. And all of that impacts the way we age. Mm. Because what you what I've seen a lot with working with uh, older students is like you start to lose mobility in your feet and your ankles. Right. That's yep. one of the first yep. places we get really stiff, yep. the feet and the ankles and the thoracic spine. Right. Yep. So if the feet and the ankles aren't mobile, then we start not trusting ourselves. Then we might start falling. Yep. Then we want to do less and we want to keep ourselves closer to the floor because we're trying to prevent these falls. Yep. Right. Yep. As the thoracic spine gets tight, our posture worsens and our lung and heart health are impeded by that. Like just what I love with conscious aging is getting people to think about their body as mm. a holistic, thriving, yeah. vibing yeah. organism. Yeah. And then what kind of practices can we do that help us feel yeah. embodied and empowered? Yeah. Wow. Um, Very cool. So this was yeah. where this that's amazing. whole idea that's cool. came you gotta, from. You gotta, I, I think that's, um, I know you got a lot going on. But that would be amazing. Right. I'd, I'd, I'd like to take that tr that course. We need or to bring it to take South that Florida. Class. All right. Yes. All right. Well, this is a good seed right. getting planted through cool. our, our conversation this morning. I'm kind of blown away, Kelly. I mean, I just didn't even know all this about you. I mean, you just came in, just taking class and just I like, know. hi, nice to see you. Yeah, great day, isn't it? Beautiful. I'm just all right, see to you make later. Marie and yeah. a D a reality yeah. every Monday morning. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The old Murchasana D. Mm, I'm telling you, favorite. I'm telling you, everyone's favorite. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, this is a really incredible opportunity. My wheels are spinning like crazy. So I am so thankful to have you just kind of 
like keep greasing my spinning wheels. And I mean, I, I feel so inspired by yoga always, but I mean, it, it wanes and waxes. Right. But lately sure. I've just been feeling this sense of, um, that I think if we could get more people practicing yoga, if, if, um, if yoga is more accessible for the planet, for as many, there's several billion of us on the planet. I have no idea how many people are practicing yoga on the planet. Me and I, I guess we could say that probably everybody is practicing yoga. They just don't realize it. But so then if we were to say, well, what does that mean? Well, like right now I'm holding a yoga pose. I'm just sitting, we're both sitting cross legs on the floor. But even if I was laying down or sitting up or standing up or, you know, in theory, that is a yoga posture if we bring our attention into how I'm hold, how we're holding ourselves, like there's a tension all of a sudden and we're watching all this crazy stuff go on in the world right now. Like there's wars going on right now. You know, there's people being bombed and <laughs> exploded and crazy gnarly stuff. Right. We need more yoga. I just think we got to get the yoga out to the world. I mean, but it already, it seems like it is in my little world. I feel like yoga is everywhere and everybody's doing it. Everybody's practicing yoga. But, but the, probably the reality is, is no, there's a lot of stress and tension and suffering going on. Exactly. And I think within your, your school of thought here, helping people change the way they look at it, you know, that it's not just some big, expressive, yeah. wild, yeah. Um, yeah. acrobatically seeming yeah. position. Yeah. And if people think that that's what yoga is, then they most people will say for sure, like, I can't do that, yeah. you know? Yeah. It brings me, I'd love to share. So one of my long-term students, he passed away um, as well earlier this uh, year. Yeah. And he had MS, an MS diagnosis for about 20 years. Yeah. And went through a process of being very athletic, to wa walking with a limp, to walking with a cane, to having a wheelchair for mobility. And I worked with him until very close to the end of his life. And it took about two years for him to come to take a yoga session. I was introduced to him by a mutual friend of ours who is his nutritionist, and I think him being the quirky, inquisitive man he was, he thought, oh, she wants me to go take yoga with this girl, Kelly. I'm going to look this up. And so he goes, you know, Googles yoga online or whatever. And yeah. can you, you can imagine yeah. all the yeah. pictures he sees. And yeah. he thinks, what? I, I'm not calling this girl. I can't do this. Yeah. I see him about a year later kind of plant the seed again. It took so long. And then everything we would do, because most of most everything was supine on the floor. A lot of it was restorative poses, aligning the body, putting the body into symmetry, supporting it so that the nervous system can calm down, visualization, breath work. And he'd say, but this isn't the way other people are doing yoga, but this isn't yoga. You are doing yoga, Alan. Well, what is this pose called? Mm. This pose is called Shavasana mm. and it actually is a pose and mm. it's one that people need to practice more often. Yeah. This is a pose. It's called Vipariti Karani. It's legs yeah. up the wall. Yeah. It was like re-educating yeah. him to think. Yeah. And then for so long, his questions were like, but how does another person do it? How would someone in an able body do this? The same way, you know, 
just wow. maybe without assistance yeah. or yeah. with assistance. Yeah. And it was such a great understanding for me in, in what you're saying. We have to re-educate and maybe expand even the idea or the def- definition of yoga and the way it's being explained in our main mainstream culture uh, for it to be more accessible and accepted and for people to feel like they act, they actually can do it. Anybody yeah, yeah, can, you know, yeah. yoga is for all yeah, of us. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yay. Yoga is for all of us. Yoga is for all of us. Awesome. Well, I just came up with the title of the podcast episode. There we go. We'll uh-huh. use that. Thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Let's do it again. Uh, I'll, 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 we'll set the date next time. So you'll be ready for me. Okay. All right. But, but I think the impromptu worked even better. And, uh, I really appreciate you taking time and just being willing. I was just like, I have two questions for you today, Kelly. One, would you be willing to be a guest on my podcast? You're like, sure. (laughs) And number two, let's do it right now. You're like, uh, (laughs) okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So I really love that. Awesome. Amazing. And thank you. Thank you for having me as a new yogi in this community. And thank you for holding such a beautiful space here. I appreciate it. For us to practice. Of course. Yeah, you're very, I think I said this to you the first morning I came and took your lead practice that your teachers shine through you and you're very honoring of the traditions that you come from. And it's felt. It's felt even through a practice that seemingly like it's always the same thing. Mm, Right. mm. But it's not as we know. And, uh, and so thank you. Thank you. That's a huge compliment. I really appreciate it. Yes. Next time. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Native Yoga Toddcast is produced by myself. The theme music is dreamed up by Bryce Allen. If you like this show, let me know. If there's room for improvement, I want to hear that too. We are curious to know what you think and what you want more of, what I can improve. And if you have ideas for future guests or topics, please send us your thoughts to info at Native Yoga Center. You can find us at nativeyogacenter.com. And hey, if you did like this episode, share it with your friends, rate it and review And join us next time.